Hello again from me, Ian Gregg. And me, Alison Gregg. Bringing you this week's episode of the Living Word podcast. This week, it's all about God's revival in dark places. This is a discovery I found in this week's Bible story, and it came as a surprise to me. Isn't God's light and God's revival work found in places dedicated to him? Well, maybe. I was always brought up to believe that God was found in a building of distinct architecture called a church where we went as a family on Sunday. And sometimes, I'm talking about when I was a child, it was boring, except that the vicar was Irish and he was a storyteller and he was funny, as well as being quite spiritual, although I wouldn't have used that word at the time. But it was all very formal. The church warden was, to me at least, a very big and rather severe man called Dr Rolston, and he was our family doctor who had delivered me at home as a baby some years earlier. Back in the day, GPs were called out at day or night. Participation in church services wasn't a thing back then, but every week as church warden, Dr Rolston would stride up to the eagle lectern and read the lesson in booming tones. So was that a good experience or a scary one? Well, actually, I was terrified that someone might turn to me and expect me to say or read something. Much later on, much later on, that is, I was called to do exactly that. But there you go. It was a long time later that I read in the Bible that God has experienced everywhere. To give just one example, the Apostle Paul was travelling to Damascus to find the Christians and arrest them. That was a dark motive. And that's when Jesus appeared to him in a blinding light. A clear vision when the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him, it changed his whole life and actually gave us half the New Testament. So, so it's not true to say we go to church to find him there? Well, it's not the whole truth. We know that God can be found in unlikely places. It's the sort of thing street pastors talk about. But sometimes it feels as though God might be more active outside the church building with all its special words. Yes, and might be influencing the lives of people spending Sunday morning, the very early hours, dancing and crowding the bars of the city, to give just one example. Of course, the penny drops, as we used to say, and we realise that we are part of that light in dark places. In a moment, while coming to a bit in the Bible about the land of darkness, the area around Galilee that had been rebellious in the past. And that's where Jesus grew up and called his first disciples and did many of his miracles and signs. It's a great encouragement for us, with a war going on, so many lives being lost and people displaced, and a lot of people in difficulty here at home as well. As we know, there's no shortage of bad news but this story is like the good news that is attracted to the bad news and changes it. Let's hear what the Bible has to say and how the story unfolds. How God lights up our dark places with his presence. This is Ian Gregg with the Living Word story for the week, which is woven from words and perspectives spanning a thousand years of God revealing himself in the Bible. He has shown different things at different points in this journey of faith, 
And by paying careful attention to this timeline, what God is saying for us today begins to emerge. This week's story is about the kingdom of God, his way at his order, his truth revealed and presence experienced. And there's something unexpected to watch out for. God's reordering comes most strongly in places and situations where there's a lot of disorder. Where faith fails, disarray rises up. But God, in his merciful love, seems to prioritise his peace-bringing in these very places, situations and relationships. Where there is trouble, we may have confidence that, despite appearances, God is already at work. Words from the psalmist, probably King David, help us to hear God's reminder that he is a stronghold of safety and source of guidance. Receiving that guidance takes a little persistence, but we are reminded that in our dark places we can find light and deliverance. This is from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe, hide me and set me high upon a rock. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. If we have a personal relationship with God, we know what King David knew. We can call on God for his help and invite his presence. It is as if the Lord is waiting for our call. And even if the opposite is true, we are in darkness or our environment or church has fallen into dry religion rather than joyful faith, all is not lost. God sees what can be beyond what is, and the Bible shows us that he has a particular interest, a priority even, of bringing his light and renewal to the situations that need him most. Isaiah spoke out what he saw in the spirit hundreds of years before it happened. The northern area around Galilee had spectacularly failed to uphold the covenant and listen to God. And in Isaiah's time, the story was all about conquest and deportation. But Isaiah was at a different place on the timescale. God was showing him what could be, in fact, what he had planned for this rebellious and spiritually dark and desolate region. After the exile had run its course, this area was resettled, which is why there was such a diverse population and why Jews from Jerusalem looked down on it, saying, nothing good ever came from Nazareth. And this is where God's son Jesus grew up and established his ministry. And the result would be to break the historic curse of sin on the region and its people. We'll let words from Isaiah 9 now take up the story. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun 
and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the rod of their oppressor. This prophecy was significant, so significant that Matthew in his gospel account quoted the part about the light dawning in this region that had known so much darkness and setback. Here, in the Apostles' words, Matthew 4, we hear about the beginning of Jesus' ministry and his headline announcement to the towns, villages and settlements of Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. For the people living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus told his hearers to repent and be aware that God's holy kingdom had come near to them. What does that mean? Repent means turn, or change course, like a sailing ship going about on the other tack to find a new wind. An encounter with Jesus means a change of mindset, from whatever we think to whatever he says. That's difficult at first. We don't readily take directions or seek help from another, but that's exactly what Jesus asks of us. Galilee and its towns and villages were not where you would expect to find the most spiritually aware people. They would be at the centre of things, around Jerusalem. Jesus is out in a provincial, rural setting. Many of the inhabitants were not Jews. We know from other stories in the Gospels that there were herds of pigs just the other side of the lake. Higher-class Jews looked down on Galilee and its distinctive rural accent, and that is exactly where God placed his Son to announce the new order of God-aware living, provision and justice. This is where the disciples saw Jesus exercise spiritual power and learn to join him in it, like taking part in the miracle feeding of the crowds. Later he would send them out in pairs by themselves to the 200 or so villages and settlements to proclaim the kingdom of God, heal the sick and disturbed, and add to the growing number of disciples. This was not happening in proud Jerusalem. It was not a movement in nearby Judah, but it was revival time in far-off, 
down market, Galilee. Not to mention an awakening, completely out of order this, in neighbouring Samaria, which took root at about this time. This crazy, unpredictable revival is what Isaiah saw all those years before. Who could believe it? This was the most unlikely place for God to reveal himself to his covenant people. And that is what we find God doing today. Where there are disadvantaged people, the ones who are not proudly self-sufficient, the ones who know their needs, well, look for the little signs of God at work. A generation later, just as surprising for the Jews in the Jerusalem church, was the rapid growth of the church among the Greek-speaking people in other parts of the Roman Empire. Not that it was a smooth ride. There were plenty of tensions, difficulties and relational upsets, as is always the case with moves of the Spirit. Some people today are scared of Holy Spirit renewal. They equate it with division, and it does surface issues which people have not dealt with in coming into new life in Jesus. We all carry some baggage from the old life with us, as we see as Paul addresses a young church in busy Corinth, here in 1 Corinthians 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some have informed me that there are quarrels among you. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised in my name. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Corinth was large, loud and up itself. This was a prosperous seaport, possibly numbering half a million, a huge city in the ancient world. Corinthians liked a bit of theatre in life and revelled in debate and rhetoric, so they were somewhat dismissive of Paul, this short, unimpressive Jewish man who brought a strong message but with no great gift of oratory. And, as we've heard, it was an uphill struggle to get those still carnal believers living and relating together in the new life they shared in Jesus. Who would have chosen Corinth for a work of God, growing the kingdom of God? It was a sensuous place, full of prostitution and slavery and pagan religion, all of which brought their own corruption and added to the immaturity. Not fertile ground for the gospel, you might think. This comes as a surprise. We like to think that God is looking for polite, well-dressed, 
and rather religious-minded people, always there on Sunday and with our name on several rotors, but while being shown a very different picture. Following on from those Galilee beginnings with the first disciples, plenty of believers were drawn later from the devout of Judea and Jerusalem, especially following Pentecost, and all kinds of people were being added to the church in the Greek-speaking areas where the church spread. But let's not lose the lesson of this story. It underlines for us that God specifically brings his light where light is most needed, the dark places, the places of great spiritual need and the situations experiencing strife and difficulty. However, that light, that call of the kingdom, comes with a clear challenge to repent, change course, get right with God and trust Jesus to be the way, the truth and the life. Why do the least promising people and perhaps downright disobedient ones attract God's favour, the light that dawns for the people walking in darkness? Perhaps it is because God's goodness, his love and grace is so staggering. God looks for those who are not at all sure of being on the right course, but ready to repent and turn to him to find it. In short, it's a lesson for all of us to learn to be less self-sufficient and more ready to admit our need for more of God's light in the shadowy bits of our own lives. And it's a reminder of our vital role to be bringers of God's light, love and truth into the dark places. We do that by confidently praying down a prayer which is bound to be answered, His Kingdom Come, and by being ready ourselves to be part of the answer, by our words and actions, in loving those around us. So let's share this prayer together. Lord, we are so grateful that you are our light and our salvation. You are light and salvation for our communities too. When we were living in spiritual darkness and self-centred independence, you convicted us of our folly and gave us opportunity to change our perspective and to put our trust in you and catch sight of your kingdom. May we be your light on your mission to others, agents for loving unity in a divided world, ministers of reconciliation for those separated from you. May your light in us be an encouragement and guide in the dark places where we would rather not go to share a little of the great gift you freely gave us by going where you did not want to go. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Amen. And thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you at the same time next week. Till then, may God be close to you, speak to you, encourage you, and bless you and yours.